Coming up this week on Making Sense of the Sens, the crew talks about the bye week. The Senators struggle in the first half and a prospect roundup, including a sensational performance at the World Juniors. Hello Sense fans and welcome inside the CSM studios for another edition of Making Sense of the Sense. This is episode 29 and for it, I'll be joined by Chris Parliament. What up, what up? And Jeremy Hewson. Hola. I'm Ross Levitan and thinking back on number 29s for the Ottawa Senators, of course the memorable opening night start for Matt O'Connor last year that got Eugene Melnick up in arms and ultimately firing the coach two years ago rather. Uh, who's the most memorable for you, Chris? I would have to say Martin Gerber. Oh, Darth Gerber. With the all-black pads, that was a little out of control. Are you going to give a reasoning why? I'm going to go with Martin Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> I will go with Igor Kravchuk, only because he's the only other person I could think of. And what's That's cool- also written down on my paper. <laughs> well, what's cool about Kravchuk, too, he's the only player that wore number 29 for longer than two seasons. So it seems like a number, if you don't want to play on the Senators too long, we're number 29. He also 1988 gold medalist for the Soviet Union, so he's got that going for him. And you know what? 29 is better than 36. A little shot at Colin White there because that's a dumb number. Yeah, and uh, Johnny Oduya, of course, a a whipping boy of this current Senators team wearing the number. And oh yeah, how could you forget (laughs) Brooks Like? He who played one game in number 29 for the Ottawa Senators at the start of his 800-plus game career before being traded for Peter Bondra. He ended up having himself a nice career in Washington after that. Yeah, he sure did. And then he's kind of been bouncing around a little bit too. You know, he played for the Leafs for a little while and then LA kind of made a comeback this year and... I think he hung him up, didn't he? He's he's done. I think so, but yeah, shut up Brooks Lake. He had a good career, good journeyman, and good hard worker. He sure did. As you can see, there's not as much hockey on ice to talk about this week as the Sens are off for eight days. The longest bye week in the NHL. Um, the schedule makers are a little out of control, at least with the Ottawa perspective. We, of course, know they have an 18, 18 back-to-backs. They still have nine left. Now, what kind of surprised me is that they've won Five out of nine on each, the front and back half of their back-to-back. So they're over 500 on these back-to-backs that Boucher talks about all the time and how hard it is in the second half of the back-to-back. Uh, good news for the Senators, though. 3-1-1 one, and one in January, so uh, on a pretty good pace there. Still 10 points out of the playoffs, however. Seven teams to jump. Did this? Did they have a Hamburglar run in them, do you think, Chris? <laughs> a Hamburglar run would be pretty fantastic right now, but you look at this team and you look all around it, and like you said, they've they've won four of their last six games, so kind of hitting the bye week on a high note, but the rest of the season right now, the worst thing about this whole, I don't know what you can even call it, downfall, is there's no diagnosis of what's gone wrong. It just seems it's something different on every night, and when... You have one thing you need to work on and the rest of it's going well. That's one thing. That's You diagnose that problem, you find it, you fix it, you move on. But right now, that takes a lot longer than the Sens have remaining in the season. And there, I think there's more questions than answers at this point. So no, no Hamburglar run from me. Well, on the goalie point, do you not think it starts from between the pipes? Definitely. Because if those either of them don't play well... You see the confidence just dissolve in front of them defensively. Carlson, his confidence has been shaken all year defensively. 
doesn't seem to know how to play a two-on-one to save his life anymore when he apparently had done so well last year. And then you you look at the goaltending numbers. They're the worst Anderson's ever put up as a senator. I know he's getting old now. Well, he just signed a two-year extension, so I think you'd, you'd expect those, uh, at least if you're Pierre Dorian, that it wasn't going to be this drastic. Well, you'd hope, but there it is for you. And Neither if, goalie over nine save percentage. Exactly. Right? That's not and if, if they can't make a couple saves and at least keep it to under two goals a night or under three goals a night, the team doesn't have much chance no matter what team you have. And you look at that two-year contract that he just signed. Was that maybe a little bit of a, this is what you've done for us, not what you can do for us? Well, Those kind of contracts are always scary. It doesn't matter what sport you're playing. You don't want to see it that much. And right now, we're kind of seeing it unfold in a negative way. Well, the, the contract seemed to break down. It was like they had the three goalies there at one point, Leonard, Bishop, and Anderson, all of them vying for that top spot. Bishop kind of the odd man out, unfortunately, there. And then they move Leonard... And then for a good An- return. Yeah, Anderson starts playing amazingly well. They say, okay, I guess he's gonna, it's going to work out. And everyone thought four years ago he was done with, and that's why they had the young guys there ready to take over, and he kept playing well. So I think they thought maybe this was going to be a similar situation. Don't count him out. He's got some more years, and then uh, didn't work out that way. Well, we used to talk about it all the time, goalie-friendly show, and we would be watching the games together, and we would love how uncharacteristic his playing style was, and he kind of played that old-school game. My fear is that it's starting to get figured out and starting to wear on him. The kind of hybrid style of play where he's standing up a lot more than other goaltenders do. Maybe the league started to figure it out, and that's why we're seeing a sub-900 save percentage and a goals against average north of 3.2. So not numbers you want to see from a starter, and it might be because he's figured out. Well, the thing with Craig Anderson is that since he's been in Ottawa, it's been one amazing year, one average year, one amazing year, one average, and it goes back to when he came and he had... That was the year where Otto ended up ultimately drafting sixth, taking Mika Zibanejad, but everyone thought that that was a one, two, three time. And then Craig Anderson comes in, goes 11-5-1 to finish off the season in 2010-11, puts up a 9.39 save percentage. Then he dropped to a 9.14. Then the, the following year it was where he made probably his best season yet. Uh, he was fourth in Vesna voting. He put up a 9.41 save percentage, albeit it was the lockout shortened season, so he only played 24 games there. Um, but then 9-11, up to 9-23, down to 9-16, up to 9-26, and then now it's drastically fallen, 8-99. And to your point, Chris, I, I we have noticed that uh, teams are trying to, to bring the puck in wide on Anderson a lot more now and go for that wraparound that's clearly uh, an issue in, in his um, in his game. And playing the puck, of course, has never been a strong suit. That was evident during the playoffs last year <laughs> against Boston, which spurred one of the best moments where Broussard got in trouble with him for missed uh, communicating, and then Carlson obviously set him up for an important goal in that series. But My favorite goal of the playoffs last year. Yeah, I don't know how that beats the saucer pass. But it also seems like this year he's finding himself out of position in like ridiculous ways. We saw a couple nights ago he, made it, he actually made the save, but he was like... Stacked pads facing the net, and the shot came from the side. I don't even know how he stopped it, but you're like looking at it. Maybe try not to stop him that way in the future. Yeah, he's not. I find he's not athletic enough for the game style he's trying to consistently play. Getting rebounds are sneaking out a lot more. Exactly. I think uh, maybe getting back to the basics a little bit more for him and cutting down angles would be something he could. Definitely benefit from if you were to use that more going forward instead of trying to play this 
kind of uncharacteristic, like I said, style of play. So the old saying goes, show me a good goalie and I'll show you a good coach. Show me a bad goalie, I'll show you a bad coach. Does the fact that the Senators' goaltenders aren't playing very well bode in favor of B. Boucher keeping his job for this season and beyond? I'm gonna, My answer's kind of getting away from the question, but would Guy Boucher change it if he had someone else? Would it... I, I mean, the pl- this playing obviously isn't helping the coach at all, but right now, from what we've seen this season, I don't really think Guy Boucher would do anything about it. I mean... I, I My fear is if you do let go of Guy Boucher, you become more and more like the Cleveland Browns who change coaches every two years. The or Sen- the Sabres. Yeah, like the Sens are they're at seven coaches in the last ten years. At some point, you have to rely on the long-term vision, and I think that Dorian understands that at least with Boucher but he he needs to take away Boucher's toys at the same time he Boucher is a head coach of this hockey team he shouldn't be the pro scout as well and we've seen every single move that that Pierre Dorian has brought in there's some sort of connection to Guy Boucher even being an assistant for Matt Duchesne at the under 18s like there's always a Guy Boucher connection to player acquisitions and that's wrong and to that point I know someone who works inside the Sens organization and we heard that they've stripped the organization down to the bare bones you just said it there with yeah the, well, Melnick's not scared to say it exactly and you just said it there with the um scouting he was telling me that they take out their own garbage, they clean their own offices in there because they have no cleaning staff anymore. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. And, yeah, if you're going to cut cut salary, which is being talked about for the on-ice, well, I would, I'm not even totally against it, but as long as you're going to put in some money into the off-ice, like just your your day-to-day. I've, I've heard from a lot of season ticket holders as well where they're saying that they've had tickets for five or six years and they've gone through four, five, or even six season ticket um, agents and it's just a never-ending roller coaster really working in the sense revolving front door o- yeah working in the sense front office and that um, clearly has kind of bled its way out on the ice and after such a successful season last year it seems like a huge disappointment and it makes you wonder why they spent all that money on the uh, the new bell zone or not new anymore but the few years old bell zone when they ended up actually taking out the hallway that lets you walk around the full concourse it's nice but you put you put all that money into a bell zone, and there's supposed to be a new arena coming in the near-ish future. There will be a, a very important uh, meeting with the um, with who controls it? NCC. The NCC will be having an important meeting in the next month, and and they'll have a, a big update on what's going on. And Eugene Melnick has been quiet since uh, throwing the fans under the bus, so that'll well, be interesting. The latest news on that would have been uh, Mayor. Jim Watson come out and saying that the city will not fund any bit of that, even though you look at the last seven arenas built in the NHL, those are all in part publicly funded arenas. So I don't know why Ottawa would go off that track. You look at Calgary's situation, they came out and said that they won't fund an arena. Boom, there's no no arena deal. They're going to keep the Saddle Dome, which is among the oldest arenas in the league, if not the oldest, aside from MSG. So I don't know what's going on there. Oh, it's crazy. And with the trade deadline approaching, is it time for a full rebuild in Ottawa or just kind of shuffle the deck a little bit? Well, I don't think you can fully rebuild until you understand what's happening with Eric Carlson. He's your captain. He's your leader. The entire one through one system, it was said multiple times last year that it's built around him and his ability to control the game from the back end. So right now, it doesn't really make sense when you're unaware of what your captain, what your leader, what your best player is going to do in a year's time. So... What I think is it's kind of on pause right now. The Matt Duchesne deal was big. 
and it moved Kyle Turris, but that kind of seemed like it was imminent. It was going to happen anyways. So right now, I just feel like it's this roadblock that we're all just playing this waiting game to see what happens in this organization. We don't know where they're going to play in a few years. We don't know if we're going to have the same captain in a few years. We don't know if we're going to make the playoffs in a couple years. What the goaltending situation looks like. Right now, there's a lot, like I said earlier, a lot more answers, or sorry, questions than there is answers. And I feel like that's up and down. We just talked about what the front office is looking like. The game on the ice certainly isn't impressive. Who knows what's going on right now? And I don't think anybody has that answer, including Eugene Melnick, Pierre Dorian, Guy Boucher, Eric Carlson. Or you. Those are four, maybe five the most important people that you, that I would you say need I'm to not have answers. <laughs> Especially Parliament. Uh, up front, though, it looks like Ibushay is kind of starting to figure out his top six. He's left Hoffman alone with uh, Duchesne the past few games and initially with Bobby Ryan. And, of course, we told him to drink more milk last year, and he didn't listen. And, of course, now he's two more finger injuries. So uh, we'll wait for an update on Bobby Ryan when we get it. But Colin White's been in that position uh, last game, and I thought he looked good. He made a couple plays there. He, he had a good shot on goal as well. Um, but more impressively to me has been the player Ryan Dezingle uh, alongside Derek Broussard and Mark. Anybody who plays with me will be good. Stone, uh, what have you liked about Dezingle? He's got five points in his last five games. Well, last year when we talked about Ryan Dezingle, it was the fact that he was getting chances but missing by two window panes every time he was on a breakaway using the electric speed that he has. Right now, I feel like he's kind of calmed it down. He's playing with Mark Stone. You can watch Mark Stone go out there and make plays, be the smartest player on the ice when he's out there. And I feel like that's rubbed off on his angle. Maybe take a little bit off. Go a, a gear a gear less, you know? Does Mark almost- Stone not just bring him down a gear? Not that he's a, well, he is a slow skater, but in his style of play, he allows Dezingle to be calm out there, knowing that Ottawa will likely get the puck back because Mark Stone will steal it. And then he'll get another chance. He doesn't have to whip around the ice at a thousand miles an hour trying to get the puck or make something happen on his own. Yeah, last year when you watched him play, it was almost that he was frantic on the ice. He had chances, but he was never able to finish them. And then it seemed like he was gripping the stick a little bit tighter every, every time. But now when he's got Mark Stone out there, like you said, he's going to have chances created for him. He's learned to go to the net more. And I think that's the biggest part of his game. Goes to the net and he's able to bury rebounds and he's not waiting for those breakaway opportunities. And to that note, back to the previous point, with the top six looking pretty solid, I wouldn't go for the full rebuild because you look at the bottom six, which is mismatch of names that no one's heard of. There are names that are coming up. We said it, White, Brown, Schlappick. Schlappick's played really well in his call-ups. Uh, I'd like to see him get better. I would agree with Formanton, Batherson, who we saw in the World Juniors, looked good. And then, of course, on defense, there's... Um, Christian Yaros. Obviously, Christian Yaros, who we did that interview about earlier. Not interview, but with uh, speaking with... Sean Donovan. Sean Donovan, pardon me. So there is a lot of prospects, and I look at two organizations in the recent past who went through similar situations. The first being Guy Boucher's former team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They missed the playoffs last year. And they're the best team in the league this year. This is a very similar roster. Vasilevsky's playing amazing. And they have that great defenseman, Sergachev. But other than that, it's a very similar roster. And then you look at LA. Los Angeles Kings, terrible team last year. Missed in the playoffs, and then look at them this year. I would have to agree with you on the Tampa Bay Lightning thing, although I don't think the Senators going to be able to add a guy like Steven Stamkos in the offseason. No, but they have have Duchesne now. I understand. And you look at the blueprint of a team that does well. Let's say the Tampa Bay Lightning, the best team in the league. 
Their best player in plus plus minus is a Swedish defenseman named Victor Hedman. If the Senators had their best player, a Swedish defenseman named Eric Carlson, playing well, I think this would be a different story. You follow the leader in your locker room. You've got an electric first line, which the Senators are proving they have the offensive tools to do it if they're put together correctly in the lineup. And you have a number one defenseman playing well. And like you said, your goalie's playing hot between the pipes. Who knows what this season would look like? On the point of Eric Carlson, we know that his playmaking is his best ability, at least offensively. That was highlighted when he led the league in assists with 66 two seasons ago. But he was always able to score goals as well. If you look at the last five years, 20 goals, 21 goals, 16 goals, 17 goals. Even when he had that Achilles tear and he played 17 games in 2012-2013, he scored three more goals, doubled what he's output this year in seven in 37. Eric Carlson needs to not only be a playmaker, he needs to put the puck in the net. And three goals in 37 games is not good enough. It, it's, it just isn't. He was lucky to make the All-Star game, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I would have taken Mark Stone uh, from the Ottawa Senators playing at a point-of-game pace through all of this. Exactly. He's the one guy who you can be assured will show up every single shift. And, I mean, you can say what you want. Of course, Eric Carlson, a major foot surgery in the offseason. He is toughing it out through that. But Mark Stone deserved the honor. I agree with you 100% on the Mark Stone thing. Guy's phenomenal. I think he plays with possibly the most heart in the NHL. But getting back to Eric Carlson, he's had 105 shots on net this year. He scored on three of them. That's a clip of 2.9%. That's not good enough. I don't think it's what the half of an ankle he's missing that's the biggest part of his game. I think it's the other half of his defensive pairing in Mark Mathot that's the biggest difference in this game. Yes, he's looking good with Thomas Shabbat now, but we all saw it last year. We all knew Mark's, sorry, Mark Mathot was a great defenseman, but last year against the Penguins in the playoffs, we watched him dominate Sidney Crosby like not really we've seen before in the NHL and missing a guy like that you've got to look at the burden being put on Eric Carlson he's in minus 16 with three goals and he's a plus some odd in the last little bit too so that tells you how bad he was before that well not only that uh, to expand on Jair's point there um, he was placed with Thomas Shabbat pretty much full-time since the San Jose game that was on January uh, 5th nice comeback since then Five points in four games, albeit no goals, plus six. That's the kind of pace I, I would expect to see Carlson play. So basically, he needs some consistency, which is something that Guy Boucher isn't known for doing. He loves switching his lines around. But now that he's actually maintained that first unit, they're now coming together. And that was one of the questions. Is Guy Boucher able to change his style, his coaching style? Can he get away from that one-three-one? Can he get away from some of the things that he'd become used to and by being able to stick some of the guys together and keep them together, that is somewhat getting away from what he's been known to do, and which is jumble them up all the time. So I'm looking at, back to that Mark Mathot comment, who's to blame for that? Is that Pierre Dorian well, by to, not fighting to be, harder to keep him? To be fair, Mark Mathot's played 17 games. I know the impact he has on the game is not on the score sheet, but he's played 16 games, he's even and no points. Yeah, but he's not playing with Eric Carlson. Uh, he's playing with John Klingberg, who leads the league in defensive scoring. So he, there's he, your point right there. Mark Mathot's playing with a great well, offensive 16 defenseman. Out, 16 and, out of 45 games. Uh, he's had two knee injuries. He's actually out right now. He just had it scoped again. Um, and while we're on the Dallas front, I just 
we I have to get your reaction on this. Today, for the first time since Game 4 of the 2003 Eastern Conference Final, Jason Spezza was a healthy scratch. Oh, the fall from grace. How much money is Jason Spezza making this season? $7.5 million. How much money is Bobby Ryan making this season? 7.25. If I'm spending that much money, I'd like to at least have him at my disposal. Yeah, no, that's fair. And it it makes for an interesting discussion, I think, because, yeah, people argue that the return the Senators got being Alex Chason, Nick Paul, Tobias Lindbergh being the fourth-round pick, um, that Jason Spezza maybe didn't deserve the contract that he knew he was going to get. Because now Spets is signed for this year and next year, so that's a that's a fifteen million dollars left. It's still a better situation than what's going on in Ottawa with a couple of contracts there. I don't know what happened in Dallas there. I don't know what the money situation was. I can't really speak too much to that, and I don't want to get too far away from the sense, obviously. But I think Dallas was in a win now mode, and they were going to spend the money to get a number two centerman no matter what. There's been a couple vets who have been healthy scratches. Brent Seabrook was a healthy scratch a couple games ago, first time in his career. A lot of miles on those legs. Yeah, how did that I used to think he was better than Duncan Keith. I honestly watched the two of them play out there, and I thought he was the more stable of the two players. Well, when, when we were talking about Eric Carlson failing to score but still getting on the point uh, on the points, um, you can say the same thing for Duncan Keith, too. Duncan Keith, in 45 games this year, has zero goals. A lot of miles on those legs. Curtis Lazar got an assist last night. And Curtis Lazar, a couple years ago, would have been in this next segment. But for now, we're going to go to our weekly farm report. Down on the farm. It's time to check in on the Belleville Senators. It's time to take another look down on the farm where the Belleville Senators are coming off a 4-2 win over the Hartford Wolfpack. The captain, Mike Blunden, he led the way. He had a pair of goals in that one. The blast from the past, that is Jim O'Brien, added one. And Colin White had another one. A little more on that later. But boys, they needed that win real bad. They were 4-6 over their last 10. They allowed six goals twice. And head coach Kurt Kleinendorf was none too happy with his team's play. You know, this was a this was a tough one. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I don't think we, we we really stood much of a chance. You know, uh, I'm not going to get into it. You watch the game. You can probably identify a few things that needed to be better tonight. Honestly, boys, that's just depressing listening to that. Not the way you want your head coach to handle any situation. So let's go around the horn a little bit. Uh, talk about some baby sends now in Belleville. Who you got, Ross? Oh, I, I like the way Colin White reacted, being sent down, of course, with the Senators on their bye week. Played the one game in Toronto. As I mentioned, looked pretty good. Um, he's had three goals since, and, of course, he had a five-minute major for a, a pretty dangerous hit a, a, as well after that. But I like that uh, that he's back on the score sheet after, you know, having a slow slow start to the year after breaking his wrist in training camp. So uh, he's back, and he looks like uh, the goals he scored, if you, if you watch the replay, are, are NHL goals. I would agree with that. He looked good up on that top line, as you mentioned a little bit earlier as well with Duchesne and Hoffman. Yeah. And so when I mentioned earlier, and who got a shot at the big club uh, earlier this season as well, Christian Yaros, um, they wanted him to step up his game offensively. They knew he was a strong defensive defenseman, strong guy. He could fight as well. And he's done that. He leads all defensemen with shots from the point, obviously with Shabbat being gone now for a while. But 12 points, pretty impressive from him. 
Yeah, it's a good rookie year for uh, for Christian Yarosh in the AHL. Um, if you remember two years ago when the Sens were way out of the playoffs, they brought in Scott Gomez to finish the year kind of as a veteran. And uh, they've got a veteran back on a PTO. He'll be going to Pyeongchang in South Korea, an Olympian, Chris Kelly. He actually brings the only Stanley Cup on this Olympic roster. Uh, so that's kind of nice. And he got on the score sheet to assist on both of Mike Blunden's goals. Yeah, shout out Chris Kelly. We saw him play a little bit earlier this year when Belleville was here at the ACC in Toronto. And honestly, he looked good. He had his legs moving, and you could tell there was a fire underneath him. And shout out Chris Kelly. He got what he wanted, and good for him. On that PTO, came back just to play in the Olympics, and he did just that. Getting a little bit away from the farm now in Belleville to junior hockey, where there's a guy for the Senators that really put himself in front of the nation in the World Junior Championships, and that is Drake Batherson. And he is having quite the year. Uh, He got seven goals in the World Junior Championship. Just incredible stuff. Now he's being traded to Armada, and he's fitting in quite nicely there. Since being traded, he's got two points in as many games. That brings him to 41 points in 26 games in the queue this year. Alex Formanton, also a pretty good World Junior for Team Canada. Um, He used his speed quite a bit uh, throughout the tournament. And uh, for a goaltending update, uh, even though he's not here today, Brandon Piller left us a little note on Marcus Hogberg. Hey, Sens fans. I couldn't be here for tonight's episode, but as always, I've got an update on my favorite Sens prospect, Marcus Hogberg. Finally, Hogberg has made the jump from the East Coast Hockey League to the American Hockey League. This is the Sens' top goalie prospect, and he needs to be in their franchise's system. And boy, do the Belleville Sens need help in the crease. In the team's first season in Belleville, they are dead last in goals against, allowing 3.85 goals per game. Yikes. Things got off to a great start for Hogberg in Belleville. He won back-to-back starts, only allowing two goals each time. So things were looking promising, but it's been rough since then. He's been pulled in back-to-back games. Here's what Coach Kleinendorf had to say after their 6-2 loss about Marcus Hogberg. So, I mean, he's a, he's a young he's a young player, you know, at the end of the day. So, um, I think what you see early on in any player when they first get back or when they first come is you see what their potential is. But then all, you also find out that, you know, there's always going to be peaks and valleys in the process. And, you know, that may just be what what we're going through right now. Um, He's got a lot of potential. I think he's going to be a good goaltender. And, uh, you know, this this is a bump in the road. It's important to keep expectations at bay for prospects, especially goalie prospects, as long as the Senators can keep giving Hogberg ice time and develop their own goalie prospects. No more Andrew Hammond, please. Next Belleville game is the 17th against the Syracuse Crunch. Look for Hogberg to get a chance to redeem himself. And now back to the National Hockey League. Thank you, Brandon, for the update there. And Hogberg did look good in the first few games. And a long season ahead for him. Long career, hopefully, as well. Uh, We got an update today on Chris Weidman. Torn hamstring. He will be moving to Ottawa to finish up his recovery. He still hopes to play this year, so that would be a big boost to the puck movement on the Senators' blue line, despite the emergence of Thomas Shabbat. When he tore his hamstring there, that was on November 19th. He didn't have it operated on until December 4th. After his operation, he was given a 10-week timetable. Now, no timetable has been changed or reset since then, but he said today that 
he does feel like he's on track or better because there's been no setbacks. And if you're looking 10 weeks down the line and don't want to do the math, that sets him up for a Friday the 5th return. And that is right in between a game in Montreal on the 4th of, fe- of February. And then on the 6th of February, Ottawa has New Jersey at home. So maybe Weidman back in the lineup for that one. One of the million back-to-backs this season. Uh, Ottawa's coming out of the break tough. They're home to St. Louis Thursday and Toronto on Saturday. Uh, looking to keep a good streak going against the Toronto Maple Leafs. 6-1-2 and two against the Blue and White uh, since Mike Babcock took them over. So uh, nice to see them at least still dominating the Maple Leafs. I'll, get my, I'll give you guys a good scouting report going to the game tomorrow. Toronto and St. Louis. Get nice. to see Tarasenko for the first time in my career, in my life. Well, there you go, because then the following week, after playing St. Louis and Toronto at home, they've got a back-to-back on the road at Minnesota at St. Louis. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Hopefully, they'll be able to go see Jonathan Peacher as well, who's in Minnesota, still recovering, uh, thinking about you, buddy, and then home to Boston. So uh, if they go 5-0 and on there, um, <laughs> then maybe do they have a chance. Before we get out of here, one last segment from our buddy, producer, Prairie Fire, Brandon Purdy. It's time for another edition of Pup 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 Prairie Fire. First question here, boys. Gonna fire this one at Roscoe. Who do you think is the biggest piece that you expect to move heading into the trade deadline? Well, I'm not gonna be moving anybody, but if you're talking about the Ottawa Senators, um, I hope it's not, but uh, Bob McKenzie said it's well over 50% chance that Mike Hoffman gets moved. I just know that if Hoffman gets moved, all that Senators fans will be talking about this summer is, wow, do they ever need a scoring winger? So I think while you have them, you just keep them and stay happy that way. And if that's the case, I would expect one of Zach Smith and or Gabriel pa- Jean-Gabriel Pajot to be moved. Excellent. Now, Parliament, you started to touch on him and you're on the farm segment, but I just kind of want to delve a little bit deeper into that. After his performance at the World Juniors, what kind of realistic ceiling do you see for Drake Batherson at the National Hockey League level? Well, he showed that he not only could put the puck in the net, but he was a smart player that was also bringing a lot of energy to the game. And I don't really have a player comparison for him. I want to touch on one play that I thought kind of showed his hockey IQ as well as his scoring ability. There was a play in... One of the games, I forget which one it was, one of the blowouts early on in the tournament. And he was coming onto the ice, and it was a long change for the person he was exchanging ice time with. And he sat on the boards, waited for the play to develop. And when it was time, he hopped off the boards, grabbed the puck, and went in and threw it over the goalie's shoulder. So I think that because of his hockey IQ, and in our interview with his agents over at OLP Sports, they talked. we talked about his background in hockey and how his dad and his uncle were both great players. So... I think that growing up around the game really gave him a lot of hockey IQ that separates him from really his peers and gives him a good shot to play in the NHL. Thank you very much, Chris Parliament. Now, finally, Jeremy, what does Matt Duchesne have to do, in your opinion, to earn a contract extension in Ottawa? At the end of next year, if he continues on the pace he's doing, he's got, what, 10 goals, 11 assists, most of that in the past few games, he is doing everything right. How big of a contract extension they'd be willing to give would be dependent on how many goals and points he does put up. That being said, his stretch where he wasn't performing offensively on the stat sheet, I still thought he was playing well. He was winning a lot of faceoffs, 
And he has a lot of the abilities that Mark Stone has in his defensive game, the ability to strip the puck. And he is always a threat out there. Players know you got Matt Duchesne in your, in your lineup. you got to be wor- wary about him. And if I'm the Senators, after all the effort they went through to get him, I'm re-signing him, assuming that he doesn't put up a zero on the stat sheet next season. Well, he's one of the biggest questions going into the Mike Hoffman ordeal as well, because if those two continue to grow chemistry, I don't know why you would move either, either of them or give up on either of their times in Ottawa, because you mentioned it. People are, or players, sorry, are cognizant of when he's on the ice, and he pushes the pace, and that's exactly what you need in today's NHL. And let's not forget, he's winning 55% of his draws, and that's a pretty good number for a number one defense, or sorry, number one centerman. So... I think that this is a guy that you can build around as your number one center centerman if you keep him in that position. Excellent opinions as always, boys. Thank you very much for having me. Well, now it's back to the land of size and wheat cheese. I'll catch y'all next week. Yeehaw! That is Prairie Fire with our out-of-control producer, Brendan Purdy. So thank you for that, and thank you for operating the show. For Chris Parliament and Jeremy Houston, I'm Ross Levitan. We'll see you next week. For making sense of the sense right here in the heart of enemy territory. Well, lately things have been going my way. Consequently, I've been drinking nearly every day. It's hard to keep your head up when they're knocking you down, so I've been making that old go round. Drinking bottom shelf bourbon to ease my mind. Seems to work all right till closing time. But you know you're gonna come down every night, and there ain't no way you'll ever feel satisfied. Ain't that hard to figure where to begin? It's Friday night, so I'm rushing in. Where I can Well I've been having a hard time